You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Are getting into the Word of God. So why don't you open with me to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus 35. Um, it's pretty crazy, but this is like the second to last sermon of the book of Exodus. Um, and so we're kind of some uh, kind of a bigger chunk of text uh, in our next sermon, and I'll, I'll keep you hanging on where we're going next. Um, we are going to have a few weeks of Advent and then start a new book uh, of the Bible in the new year. But um, man, it's been a, such a beautiful and wild ride, uh, kind of looking at the children of Israel, you know, God's people and the formation of his people in this redemptive story uh, in the book of Exodus. And um, if you don't have a Bible, if I just ask you to open up and you don't have it, I want to always remind you that we have Bibles back there uh, on the tables as you walk in. And if you haven't been here for a couple weeks, we added like fans, like hand fans right there, you hold up, to uh, that's your portable AC for your time here to make you more comfortable. Um, but if you need a Bible or a fan, grab it. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can take it home with you, um, but leave the fan. We're going to need to use those. Um, but uh, as, as always, as we go through longer um, swaths of scripture on a Sunday morning, we have people from the body come up and read. And uh, I want to invite up someone today. She's a dear friend and uh, one of our worship leaders here and is also responsible for keeping us caffeinated on Sunday mornings with such good coffee. Um, huge part of our church and really an amazing human. Kelly Chun, come on up. Let's give her some love. <laughs> She's going to be reading Exodus 35 through the beginning of Exodus 36. Okay. Aloha, church. All right. Exodus 35, 4 through 36, 7. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for the light with its accessories, lamps and oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles. Did I repeat that? <laughs> Um, the anointing oil on the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, 
the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering to the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or the other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, and son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Oheliab, son of Ahisamach, and of the tribe of Don, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiders in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. So Bezalel, Oheliab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary or to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oheliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us here this morning. And God, we just say that this is your time. This is your church. You're the chief shepherd. Uh, you're the senior pastor. You're our leader. And we want to be led by you. We want to hear from you. We want to 
We want to know what you have to say for us, and it's our desperate cry that your will would be done, not ours. God, we want everything from you. We want, don't want any of our own stuff to get in the way of what we are supposed to hear from the one true living God. And so, God, we're, we're open to refinement and encouragement and correction because we know that it's our loving Father that knows what's best for us that is showing us these things. And so, God, illuminate your word to us. Um, speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, for a second, before we get into our text, if we were to jump into the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, right, in the four Gospels, we see the life and really the public ministry of Jesus. And if you're going to sum up, you know, Jesus' public ministry, um, it would be, it consisted of teaching and preaching and doing miracles and really presenting the kingdom of God in word and in deed. But he did a lot of teaching. And just on the fly, either on the, like the Sea of Galilee or in Jerusalem or on the way, he would break out in parables. And a parable was a way to just communicate um, kind of a lofty theological or spiritual truth in a very like easy to understand story. Uh, whether it be farming or uh, fishing or something in the day that was really relatable to the context that Jesus was in. And he used stories to communicate these spiritual truths. And, uh, you know, one story I think we all know that if you grew up in Sunday school or if not, is the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, Jesus just continues to speak about uh, this master that has servants, and this master goes away on a trip, and he entrusts his servants with different amounts of money, different talents, uh, five, two, and one, and the master comes back after a time, and he assesses uh, what these servants have done with what this master has entrusted them with. And the point of the parable is to teach on faithfulness and stewardship, right? Some uh, spend it, you know, some don't just hold on to it and bury it, and some actually use it to, uh, to make more from it. They're, they're good stewards of what the master has given these servants. And if we look even further in the New Testament, if we look at the Apostle Paul, who authored 13 of the books of the New Testament, a similar theme comes up again uh, when he's speaking to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, they're kind of having a debate of, you know, who should we follow? Paul, is it you who we should follow or is it someone else? And it goes like this. Uh, when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I'm, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the wor world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made the growth. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, you are God's field, and you are God's building. In a nutshell, what Paul is trying to communicate is that God is the one who's using us. He's the one who's speaking through us. He's the reason why we are where we are. It's not us. Don't follow us. Follow God. 
his point here is that all is God's and all that's happening is his doing. But that we're intricate participants in God's kingdom. Like God's doing it, but he uses us to see his kingdom go forth. And so just like Jesus' parable, just like Paul here, the idea is, is that we are a part of God's kingdom. And as stewards, we don't own anything, but we're responsible for what we do with the things that we're entrusted with. Right? In the parable of the talents, Jesus uses the, the metaphor of the servant uh, and the master, and he, he you know, judged him on the faithfulness of how these servants stewarded what the master entrusted them. And this concept here that Jesus and Paul talk about is, is stewardship. That we're to be stewards of all that God gives us. And what's really important to, to note is that a steward doesn't own anything, but rather is entrusted with the responsibility to take good care of something for the owner. So the reason why I bring this up is because of what is happening here in Exodus 35 correlates. It's similar. The same type of thing is being communicated here. This idea of stewardship and generosity and faithfulness when it comes to what God has entrusted to us. So here's what's happening in Exodus 35. Israel has been through quite a storm. If you've been with us, it's been tumultuous. They've fallen pretty far God, by his grace, has shown up, and uh, it's been pretty incredible. So there's really high highs and really low lows that have happened these past few chapters. And what's happening here in Exodus 35, through the rest of the book to Exodus 40, is pretty much reiterating, or actually rehashing, almost exactly what was talked about just a few chapters earlier. What we went through, we, we did this, I don't know, a month or two ago. We read a lot of really detailed, seemingly mundane details of the instructions or the blueprints of the tabernacle. Well, that was the instructions then. The reason why it's a rehash in these last five or six chapters is because now the tabernacle is being built. It's finally getting built before we had the instructions, and now it's finally being uh, established and resurrected, so to speak. But what's important to note, just as a way of recap, the tabernacle is, is where the Ark of the Covenant was to be kept. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the person, the power, and the very presence of God. And so this is the place where heaven and earth would meet. It's where humanity would meet and interact with their God. So the tabernacle, even though it's just like this mobile tent in the middle of the Sinai desert, what it housed was the very presence of God. And so it very much communicated that a people that were once far off from God are now being brought near into relationship. And so we, what we see happening in our text today is that Israel finally is getting it. Like they're finally getting on board. It's been a rough go these last few chapters, really rough. But now they're committed. 
Like now they're in, and what they're doing is they're not only saying that God will follow you, we believe you, we trust you, but they're actually contributing their skills and their money and their time to the building of the tabernacle. God, we get it now. God, we don't want to do what we did. We don't want to be disobedient any longer. We don't want to stray to the right or to the left. You are God and we're in. And so what's happening is, is they're putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and they're saying, let's do this. Got the instructions from God. We got the layout. It's time that we follow and obey our God. And so let's build this thing. And so they jump in and they do it. And I think there's three things that, the way in which they do it, that we can really examine and walk through and also apply to our own context. One is what we've already touched on is stewardship. Secondly, it's generosity. And three, it's participation in light of God's kingdom. Okay, so this first idea of stewardship, right? As we saw in Paul and Jesus, what we need to understand is that everything that we call ours is actually a gift. And it's all been given to us. And what I mean by everything is everything. Our time, our talent, and our treasure is all a gift from God. Every bit of it. All hours of every day, all talents, all giftings, all personality, all treasure, anything you've amassed, any, any tangible thing, it is all a gift from God. Even if we want to say, maybe not out loud, but you're sitting there going, well, I worked for that though. Like, I, I work really hard. Like, do you know how many years I had to go to school to get my doctorate type of thing? I've done this. I've done it. I've amassed who I am and what I have. But the truth is, is that God is even the one who gives us our mind and our body and our thoughts and our abilities. He's the one that opened up that job opportunity. He's the one that uh, gave us our education. Like every single thing, even the breath from our lungs is a gift. None of it's ours. It's all a gift from God. God has allowed and orchestrated and gave it all to us. And I believe a key to Israel's willingness to give in the way they did was grounded in this realization. Right? Israel, if you know the story, which if you've been around, you know the story, they came from nothing. Like less than a year ago, they had been in 400 plus years of slavery. Like they were without. They were limited. They were not able to flourish. They were not able to be free. They did not have any of this stuff. This stuff, I mean, it's not like cheap stuff, like onyx stones and gold and like, this is jewels and wealth and treasure, right? All this, the, the, the way they had it was all God's doing. If you remember, there was like a really small detail that happened right as Israel and Exodus 12 were leaving Egypt, right? It's like the Passover had saved them. They're finally freed. They're just about to get out of Egypt and then head to the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts. It was like, it's like, Two verses that explains 
how they got all this. Exodus 12, 35 and 36 says, The people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. The reason Israel had anything to give to contribute to the building of the tabernacle is because God gave it to them. And for Israel, this was fresh in their minds. That the stuff they had really wasn't theirs. They had just gotten it. It was really fresh for them because all that they had was God's and his doing. And, it, and what it did, because they knew that, it freed them to give. It's all God's. God just gave it to us. This isn't ours. It's God's. God's doing this? Let's do it. Let's give to him. And the same truth, I believe, has to permeate and exist at the core of our own lives. At the core of our own dreams and our bank accounts and our jobs, our stuff, quote unquote, on our Saturdays. Right? We call it ours, ours, ours. But all that we have is not ours. Again, we don't own anything but are rather entrusted with all of it to be stewards of it. And it's huge when you build your life on that foundation rather than, well, it's all mine and I'm going to give a little bit to God. When you think of that, we've already missed the point. We were already operating out of a wrong ideology and foundation. But the truth is, is that we don't own anything, nothing but rather are entrusted to be stewards of it. And this can be hard to swallow, like, absolutely. And even if we can intellectually understand it and agree with it, it can be really hard to act in this way, like, daily, like, with all that stuff, so to speak, our time, our talent, our treasure. And so practically, right, if we believe and are attempting to walk out this biblical truth... This is what it should cause us to do. This is what I think it should cause us to do. Is to evaluate the time, not our time, but God's time. The time, the talent, and the treasure that God has entrusted us with. And we should, we should like lay it all out. And, and ask God, how do you want me to steward it? How do you want me to steward my time and my talent and my treasure and all that you've given me? Whether, whether you think it's a lot or a little, little in the world's eyes, we've all been given much. We have. It's all, it's all relative, but we, we have. Are we asking that? If we believe that, if we believe this truth, it's not ours, that God's all given to it, are we doing us these things? And again, God does give us wisdom, and it's wise to do a lot with those things. But I think we need to take it a step further and say, God, none of this is mine. It's all yours. So what's your will for it? How do you want me to spend my time? How do you want me to use my personality, use my giftings, use my talent? How do you want me to spend or invest my money? That's what, that's what is happening here. In is they're, they're getting confronted with this in Israel. I mean... 
this is what's happening in Exodus 35 today. What happens uh, that I think next is we see uh, incredible generosity from the people of Israel given unto God. And so that's the second thing I think we should look at. For Israel in this story here in Exodus, they were acting generously. Because think about their living situation at the moment. There's two and a half million people camped in tents in the desert. Like this is not, it means, well, it's debated for them if it's better than slavery. It's that bad. And then there's this promised land that this God up on this mountain that they don't really know says is coming and it's good. If there's ever a time where the future is uncertain or unknown, it's for Israel. And you guys know, if your future is uncertain and you don't know what's next, or when you don't know when your next paycheck's gonna come or your housing, what do you do with your stuff? The last thing you do is give it away. Survival, I don't know the future. I'm just, I'm just gonna go like this. I mean, maybe some of you are better than others, and you're like, no, that's when I give the most. Well, God bless you. This is free, this, lead the way. But Israel here, they're not doing that. They're not holding on to this like newfound wealth that they just got in Egypt. They it says in Exodus 12 that they stripped Egypt of their wealth. Think of like Egypt, the, the biggest, wealthiest kingdom in the world at the time. I mean, they had just come into fortune upon fortune. But what did they do when they saw a need to build the kingdom of God? They gave and they gave and they gave and said, what do you need to happen? How do you, what do you need? I have it. But we have to remember that the reason that they're giving their stuff and their money and their time and their skills and their labor was to see God glorified and magnified. Like, let's build the tabernacle so we can meet with God. Like, this, this is what they were doing. They weren't just, you know, giving money to give money for some reason. They were giving it because they wanted to meet with their God. And they wanted everyone to know that that's the God they serve. And so we're going to do anything we can to make God known in the world. And this is why very much like what's happening here in Exodus is it correlates to the giving or offering offerings in any church. And so please don't think this is a money message. I apologize for the church in general, Big C being weird about money. I promise to try to never make it weird. And I don't think it needs to be. I think we can make it weird, but it shouldn't. We're supposed to be good stewards of it. And yeah, it's been messy and money's money, but... This is how God's kingdom works, right? This is how, like, a church works, much like how the tabernacle worked. It cost to build it and run it uh, for the nuts and bolts, so to speak. But the reason that we give, the reason why Israel gave, the reason why you tithe or you give or you make an offering should be for the goal, hopefully, of meeting and being in the presence of God. Like we want to see God's name magnified and glorified and we want to see his name known to those that don't know him and so we're going to give to that for that reason. So that's why when we give to, in any capacity to any church or any Christian organization, we're giving 
to see God magnified for the purpose of us and others meeting with Jesus. Amen? It should be like the purpose. But the core of why we give or why Israel gave should be even more than just a good cause. I think the reason why we are to be a generous people is more than just because there's a good cause in front of us or a good church or much more because of an obligation. The reason we as followers of Jesus are supposed to be generous is because God is generous. Like God is generous. And remember, we're created in God's image. Genesis, creation story. We were created to be in the image of God. In Latin, imago Dei. Right? God is generous. He is lavish in his love for us. He is unspeakably generous with how he provides for us and blesses us. And it culminates with the gift of his son upon the cross. God was willing to give what was most precious to him. To give everything that was dear to him to get us. God is the definition of generosity. And generosity is supposed to be one of the key marks of a follower of Jesus. And again, not only financially, but with our time and our talents, all that we're entrusted with, we're to be generous with those things. Even if we feel like we don't have much or how can I, God's generous. And so as we become more like him, we naturally should become a generous people with all that God has entrusted us with. Amen? And so why are, we to give, why are we to give? Or what are we to give to, so to speak? We're to give to God to see him magnified and made known to the world. And lastly, I want to look at uh, Israel's participation in the building of God's kingdom here in Exodus and how it relates to us. So for Israel, they, once again, they had turned a corner and they were all in. We see that tangibly. They're not just saying, I'll follow you, God. Now they're participating. They're getting their hands dirty. And they're willing to participate and commit and be involved. And they're using what they had. It wasn't like everybody had, you know, wealth. Some people were like, I have a skill. I can build that, so I'll do that. Or I'm good at sewing, so I'll do that. Whatever, like, was needed to build the tabernacle, everybody just jumped in. And we're a part of it. And they were giving generously to it, but the key is that they were participating. They were a part of it. They weren't on the sidelines. They weren't being passive. They were literally like willing to give everything to the point that, did you catch at the, the beginning of 36, people gave so much that Moses had to be like, stop, too much. You gave too much. Like, think about that. I mean, it's radical, radical generosity and radical participation, and they were willing to jump in and to see God's work come to pass. And you have to remember, the purpose of Israel as a people and why God was setting them apart from everyone else was so that they could be the primary vehicle for God's blessings and love to be shown to the world. 
So the reason why God was so intent on giving them the law and instructions of how they ought to live and how their lives ought to look different is because God wanted to use Israel as they stepped into pagan nations that were living far from God. God wanted to use that little nation in that little part of the world to be the main vehicle for God's love and blessing to be shown to the world. That is true of the church today. That has not changed. If anything, it's like um, a relay race and that the baton has been passed now to us. And when I mean us, uh, it's not only this little local expression of reality Honolulu. It's the church big C universal. That if we looked at the story of Israel and the cross, Gentiles now, if you're not Jewish, they've been grafted into the family of God. And we now have the responsibility to be stewards to show the world God's grace and God's mercy and his goodness. So the church, us, and the, and the big C, the big C church, is to be the primary vehicle for which the world is shown the love of God. Paul would go on to explain uh, what the church should look like in 1 Corinthians 12, and he gives this analogy of the body, of the human body. He says the church is to be like the human body, where every part of the body is important, but, but we're all different. Some are eyes and some are feet and uh, different parts of the body have a different purpose and all of the body needs to work correctly or the whole body becomes deficient in one way or another. And so I hope you can see where I'm getting with this is that we are all supposed to be participants in seeing God's kingdom go forth in our church and in the world and in Hawaii and everywhere. Like none of us are supposed to say, well, that's your job. You're more gifted here. You're more vocal. You're, you've been saved longer, whatever. It's like, nope, that's not how it works. None of us, all of us, excuse me, are important. And this is what I want us to see is that God is choosing to use us to do this. Does he need us? No. He could do it all himself. But what God throughout history has done is he's chosen very normal, ordinary sinners, messed up people like all of us. And he says, that's who I want to use to show the world my glory. For most of us, we'd say, God, I don't think you want this. I don't know what you're getting into here. Why don't you pick that guy or that girl? But God, as a loving father, wants his kids to be involved with what he's doing in the world. And so we have the privilege, the honor of actually co-laboring with Christ to see the love of God spread abroad in others' hearts. Each of us have a part. For some of you, you might be feeling, well, man, I, I don't feel like I'm a part of this. You are. You're a part of something, and it's really big. It's the kingdom of God. We all have a role. 
We all have a spot. We all have purposes and giftings, and we're, we're all supposed to participate, though. To the point, like Israel, we're like, too much, too many volunteers, too many people love that person, too much money was given here. I'm not just talking about the church, I'm talking about in life as Christians, we're to be marked by our generosity and our participation in God's kingdom going forth. Are you with me? I'm almost done. With me? Okay. Prior to starting Reality Honolulu, that just turned two years old, um, we spent years, it was like something that we knew was coming for, for years prior, and we spent years praying about what God would have this local expression be, and really believe um, that God gave us a, a real prophetic word for our church, and that was give, Give, like over and over, over the years. God, what do you want us to be? What do you want us to, to be marked by? What do you want us to do here in Hawaii? And it was give. And it was, and what I mean by that is that we as a church would be lavish in our love and radical in our generosity to the people of Hawaii. Like that we'd be crazy. Like you gave what to who to where? You did what? You filled what community need? Like that we would always like give of ourself. That we would give of ourself and our time and our resources so that God would be magnified for the betterment of the people of Hawaii. Like that we would give them Jesus and our lives and, and we would and just give, give, give. And then in that, they would see the love of God. And again, I can only speak... For our small part here as Reality Honolulu amidst all the other awesome churches here on Oahu. But I believe that our church is to be a source of healing. Like for Hawaii. To bring life and restoration to this land and its people. And I believe that we're to like lead in love in generosity. So like for so many of us, like half this church you have kids. I want our kids to see this. And so they can pass it on. Like my church and my family and my mom and my dad, what were they like? They were radical in their giving and their love for other people. Like that's what I want for us. I want us to leave a legacy of lavish love and radical generosity so that we can just pass the baton to our kids. So this is how you're supposed to love God and love other people. It's radically generous. And again, Israel gave so much that Moses had to tell him to stop. Let that be us. What the scripture is telling us in Exodus with Jesus, with Paul, what the scripture says is that each follower of Jesus has is very much a kuleana. It's a responsibility to be stewards of the kingdom of God. Like, it's our kuleana, our responsibility, our honor, and our privilege to be deeply involved with being God-magnified with all his people. Amen? So as we enter worship, let's, God, let's ask God to allow these things to happen, that we would be a generous people, that he would change our selfish hearts, that we'd surrender and acknowledge, or maybe even, like, give stuff back. God, I call it all mine. It's actually all yours. Do as you wish.
And let's ask God to strengthen us to be stewards of all that he's entrusted us with. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love every single man, woman, and child. You love them and you died for them. You sent your son to die for them so that we could know you. And God, we see here that we've been, the, been given the, the radical responsibility to be stewards, to, to be participants with what you've entrusted us with for your glory to be made known in the world. God, we don't want to take that lightly, but we also don't want to be overwhelmed by it. So God, we ask that you would sort out our thoughts and emotions right now as we enter into this time of worship. If anything, God, we just pray that there would be a time where we get to pause and reflect and just really maybe take stock and say, and maybe give back to you, God, this is, it's all yours. Maybe forgive me where I thought it's not or, or or God, lead me. We just pray, God, that there would be a time of response and reflection and, and worship now for who you are and what you've done. Pray you'd be magnified and glorified in our midst and you would use us to be a vehicle to the world to show the love of God.